God. Amen. Let us turn once again to the 37th Psalm, the Psalm number 37. And there's just one verse I'm going to read to you. We're looking at the second part of this psalm. I'm not going to read all of the verses because we will read them through the course of the study this, this evening. But the verse 11 is a good place to start, the Psalm 37 and the verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. This psalm begins with the exhortation to fret not thyself because of evildoers. And last time we thought upon that, what that means. We thought upon the disease of fretting, of worrying, of becoming anxious. And we looked at the antidote, the cure for worry. We are to trust in the Lord, verse 3. We are to delight ourselves in the Lord, verse 4. We are to commit our ways unto the Lord, verse 5. And we are to rest in the Lord, in verse 7. After stating the cure for worry and anxiety and fear and all those kinds of emotions that we're prone to, David goes on to talk about the characteristics of those that are at peace in the Lord. The characteristics of those that do not fret. Do not become over-anxious. The characteristics of those people who have learned to trust, to how God looks after his people. And that really is what this study is about. A covenant-keeping God who never fails, who will always maintain his truth. And that really is why this verse 11 is so important. And this verse 11, in a way, it's central to our understanding of the whole psalm. The people of God are not to fret because they're going to inherit the earth. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, just you think about what this means for the Jew. Just think about what it meant. For what did the earth mean to the Jew? It meant that patch of ground that God had given to them. It meant the physical territory, Israel. It was promised to Abraham and it was promised to Isaac and to Jacob. And then finally, Joshua led them in. He is described as the one who gave them rest because he brought them into their promised inheritance. And for the Jew, the land that they had, it, it wasn't just a piece of ground. It was that which God had given to them to their fathers and to their fathers before them. It was given to them by way of the covenant. And so it represented all of the promises of God. And that's why the land was so important. The land had a spiritual importance. And so whenever David was saying, the meek shall inherit the earth, that's what he principally was thinking about. Yes, we will have troubles and we'll have problems and there will be evildoers and there will be threats and there will be attacks and there will be backslidings and apostasy from within. But ultimately, God's going to look after his people. He's going to maintain his word. That's what it meant, that's what it meant to Israel. But that's not what it means to us. It means something bigger to us. And the Savior, whenever he was 
delivering his mandate for the New Testament church, he took up the words of the 37th Psalm and he applied them to the New Testament church. And he applied these words to the New Testament church whenever he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what the Lord was saying there was that God's people are truly going to be blessed. Going to be blessed in ways that we could not begin to imagine. They will be blessed on earth. They have something, and we have something that can never be taken away from us. We have the promises of God for time and for eternity. And yes, there is an earthly dimension to this. God's people are blessed on earth. But oh, won't we be blessed forever and forever. But notice it says, the meek shall inherit the earth. It doesn't say that the, 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 the go-getters, the confident, the people who walk over the tops of others, it doesn't say the ambitious, it doesn't say the proud. You know, all of the things that you associate with people that become powerful in this world, all of those things just fade away. The meek shall inherit the earth. Who does that remind us of? Christ. He came into the world as that little baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, in a stable. Christ who had to ask for the coin to be delivered from the mouth of the fish because he had no coin. Christ who had nowhere to lay his head. Christ who was despised and rejected of men. Christ who was taken to that cross. Christ who never once spoke to defend himself when he was vilified and attacked, even though he could have done. For he was the innocent one. Christ who went as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before her shears was dumb. Christ who went to death. Nobody was more meek than he was. And yet he rose triumphant. And what an inheritance he has. And so it is with God's people. At times we will be marginalized. At times we will be vilified. At times we will be slandered. At times what we stand for will be laughed at and scoffed at. But ultimately, even though we are weak, we become strong through him. There's a wonderful little set of verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And verses 9 and 10 of that passage, Paul says this about God's people. As unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold we live. As chastened and not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing and yet possessing all things doesn't matter whether people don't know us, God knows us. Yes, people of God may be persecuted in this life, yet they live forever. They may have nothing in this world yet to possess all things. And that's what it is for the meek to inherit the earth. You see, the book of Revelation shows us a people who are kings and priests unto God. A royal priesthood, as Peter discussed. And there we step into the power of Christ's resurrection. There's no people on earth like the Lord's people. There's no movement on earth like the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that really is why we have never any need to fret about what's going on in the world around us. And so let us just think about that as the background to this second part of the Psalm 37. First of all, let's think here about the permanence of God's people. I want to think about the verses 10 through to 13 here. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. 
but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. You know, the wicked may appear to prosper. They may appear to be successful, but their success will always be short-lived. Whatever they possess in this life will be lost. All of their power, all of their influence, all that they gather together, it counts for nothing in the light of the great eternity. As we think about the secular ungodly mindset that exists in our society, all these assaults upon God, all these assaults upon the law of God, all these assaults upon his honor, let us remember that God laughs at their puny rebellion. For that's what the word says here. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. Judgment day is coming for them. That's what the scripture's teaching us here. But as God's people, we represent something that endures. Represent truth. Those of us who who watched the, the film about Wycliffe the other night, we heard that great quote from Wycliffe that the, the truth shall prevail. There was a man vilified, attacked, scoffed, mocked. They did everything to destroy him. But he said, the truth shall prevail. And that's exactly right. Because no one remembers the people that wanted rid of him, but Wycliffe is not forgotten because of what? He stood for. Matthew Henry said, Those that are sure of an everlasting inheritance in the other world have no reason to envy the wicked in their transitory possessions and possessions in this world, that in the worst of times it shall go well with them. They shall not be ashamed of their hope and confidence in God, nor of the profession they have made of religion, for the comfort of that will stand them instead and be a real support to them in evil times. Never envy the world of its power because it has no power. Rather, let us rejoice in what we have in Christ. That is the lesson here. God's people have a, a permanent possession. But, you know, the people of this world, the governments of this world, they think they own this world. And they act as if they own this world. They act as if they're in control. And they think nothing of God. And of course, that should not be a surprise because what is the devil called? He's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. His dominion is not absolute because God ultimately is in control and God restrains Satan. But Satan believes he's in control. He's a delusional kind of a creature. He actually believes that he's in charge, that he controls, that he owns the earth. Remember what he did to our blessed Savior. Up on that high mountain, he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, and he said, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you it all. The Lord was the king. What a fool he was. Offering with the Lord what was already his, because Satan believed, this is all mine. And this world is a delusionary place. Men and women actually think they own the world, that they possess it, that they can do what they like. They can make their own rules. They can make their own laws. They can have their own agenda. But of course, the Word of God gives us an entirely different perspective. The future belongs to the church of Christ because the meek shall inherit the earth. They that stand against God will fade away. 
And so that is the permanence of God's people. Let's also think about the prosperity of God's people. Now, verses 18 through to 20. No, we're not in verses 18 through to 20. Where are we at here? A little that a righteous man has. I'm looking for it. A little that a righteous man. 16, thank you. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. The wealth of the ungodly is just for a little time. They might have their riches, but verse 20 says, that'll just fade away like smoke. It'll just disappear like smoke. On the other hand, the little that the righteous man has might seem little in the eyes of the world, but it's of greater value than everything that the world might own. Because ultimately, we are the heirs of God. You know, people will give anything for an inheritance. They will get up to all kinds of schemes just to try and manipulate some kind of an inheritance. Live for an inheritance. But we are heirs of God. And therefore, we are rich beyond all measure. You know, Elijah is a great example. He's a great example. You notice there in verse 19 it says, They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. God's people, in the days of famine, they'll be satisfied. Just think about Elijah. When the famine came, he was by a brook. The brook dried up. God allowed that brook to be dried up. God put him in a place where the brook dried up. And the ravens fed him. And then God sent him to a little widow woman that had nothing. I often think that little woman, that little hand that she had, not very big. She was a wee widow woman, just a wee hand. And that wee hand, there was a handful of meal. That's all she had. Didn't hold much meal. And when Elijah met her, she had two sticks on her arm. She was going to light her last fire to cook her last meal for her and her son. Then they were going to lie down and die. That's the way it was. There wasn't much hope. And the Lord sent Elijah to this woman to be fed. She hadn't enough to feed herself, let alone Elijah, let alone a man in the house. But she fed him. Because the little that she had went a long, long way. And during that famine, we read of Ahab, and he was sending his, one of his servants, a man called Obadiah, out looking for grass for his animals. The king hadn't grass for his animals, and there was a search going on. The king was looking for grass. There's desperation. There was Elijah living with this wee widow woman. Perfectly satisfied. Perfectly satisfied. The little that the righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. Does that not challenge us concerning the value we place on material things? And how sensitive we ought to be to that which is of eternal wealth? The world lives for the material things, the possessions, what they can buy, purchase, what they can earn. But surely, 
They are treasures in glory. That's got to be our preoccupation. That's the satisfaction that we should be longing for, the riches that are in Christ. Let's also think about the propriety of God's people. The people of God in this world, we need to live proper lives, godly lives. We need to behave in a respectable way that's in accordance with Christian grace. Read there in the verse 21 that the wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth. There you have it again, you see. They that be cursed of him shall be cut off. And those that are cursed of God are described as borrowing and paying not again. Thieves, robbers, forgerers, people who steal. Those are the kinds of people are going to be cut off. The characteristic is the wicked. The righteous, however, are people that show mercy and, and give. And you have this unfolded again from verse 26. The righteous man, he is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, he says, and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land. There you see it again. And dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. Love as God is in his heart. None of his step shall slide. You know, you take all of those things in those verses, the, 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 the showing mercy, the giving, uh, departing from evil, seeking to do good, loving judgment, loving righteousness, uh, speaking wisdom, having God's law in our hearts. Those are the kinds of behaviors that should be associated with the Christian in this world. You know, the spirit of this society is people describe themselves as being liberal. The world says, oh, we are liberal. and It's good to be liberal. You know, you read here that it's actually the Christians are the liberals. The Christians are the people that give. They're gracious, they're kind. This equality agenda is not liberal. It's absolutely uh, a rebellion against God. And rebellion against God, there's a name for it. It's wickedness. You see, there's a contrast throughout this psalm, the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And while the wicked might appear to be lovely and generous and kind. They're not. They're not. They're doing bad things. They're wicked. Much better to be righteous in this world, living out the wisdom that is contained in the Word of God. Because that's goodness personified. And that's what we are being taught here. And then let's look at the preservation of God's people, how God preserves His people. Look at Verses 23 to 25. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his ways. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Throughout this psalm, we learn that the wicked will not be preserved. They will never be preserved. They will be cut off. But God will always strengthen his people. God will always protect his people. That's the covenant promise we have throughout this passage. Yes, we may lose earthly riches, but we will never become destitute. We may stumble along life's journey, but the Lord will lift us up. 
and pick us up. He will rescue us from being downtrodden. Isn't that a beautiful verse 24? Though the righteous man falls, he'll not be utterly cast down. The Lord is there to pick him up. And where would any of us have been tonight were it not for the fact the Lord has been there to pick us up, to preserve us, to lead us on, to guide us into new pastures. Let's also think about the prayerfulness here of, of God's people. In the verse 34, we have this phrase, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. The wicked are cut off, they, they don't pray. Those that inherit the land, they wait on the Lord. It is the psalmist really that uses the description for waiting as typical of prayer. And this is particularly relevant in this psalm because David is obviously living in a wicked world. He's seeing the wicked around him. It frustrates him at times. He has to learn not to fret. He has to learn to rest in the Lord. And he has to learn to wait on God to work things out and to unfold his own purposes. And therefore, he has to lean on the promises of God. Hold on to them. And we need to learn to do that. We need to hold on to the promises of God for our land and for our nation for the future of our society. We need to hold on to the promises of God, even though at times it feels, when will this promise ever be brought to bear? When will the gospel of free course in this world again? When will revival come to our society again? We wait on the Lord, because God's righteous cause will be vindicated. It will be vindicated. And therefore, we hold on to him. John Trapp wrote, Spurgeon, you know, wrote a a book about commentaries. It was called Com Commenting on Commentaries. He went through all his favorite Bible commentators, and he, he had little words to say about them. It was really to help ministers and students choose good books. And he, he said this about John Trapp. He just had a little, little line about John Trapp. Oh, it seems very amusing. He said, oh, rare John Trapp. That's all he said about John Trapp. But I think this little quote shows you how rare John Trapp was. He said of prayer, Bind him not to a day. Wake not my beloved till he please. And what he was saying there was believe in God, but don't dare tie him to a day. Don't tell him he needs to rise when you think he needs to rise. Just hold on to him and love him with all of your heart. God does things on his day, not in ours. We wait on him. Thomas Watson said, while we are waiting, let us take heed of wavering. And that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful little quote. We hold on to God, but as we hold on to God in a wicked world, let's not waver. Rather, let us believe. Let's also look at the, the peace of God's people here. And with this, this we're finished. Come to verses 35 to 40, the end of the psalm. He said, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. 
He is their strength in the time of trouble. The Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. You know, the wicked will be forgotten. Or if they are remembered, they'll only be remembered for their infamy. He passed away and lo, he was not. And yet for a time, this wicked man that he's talking about or these wicked people that he's describing, it looked as though they were going to be there forever. They had great power to spread themselves like a green bay tree. It appears from what I have read, the green bay tree was really descriptive of a tree that did well in its natural habitat. It was just in the right place, the right depth of soil, got the right sun, got the right moisture, deep, deep roots that went down. It was a tree that flourished in its natural habitat, green bay tree. Well, this world is natural for sin, is natural for ungodliness, and this society we live in is just ripe for rebellion against God. That's the way it is. And so the wicked are spreading themselves like the green bay tree. But one day they'll pass away and they'll not be found. And they'll not be heard of again. But those that know God, mark the perfect man and behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. God will never forget his own people and he will never neglect his own cause. Martin Luther wrote extensively in the Psalms. Whenever he came to the Psalm 37 and he wrote his final note on the Psalm, he said this, O shame on our faithlessness, mistrust and vile unbelief that we do not believe such rich, powerful, consolatory declarations of God. Let's just believe God. May the Lord bless these thoughts.